3: we are in the heart of draft season we are talking our main event team the andrew luck news and the lamar miller fallout on this week's episode of roto viz radio
2: what's up roto viz
3: Welcome on Into Rotoviz Radio, brought to you by the FFPC and my bookie. I'm Dave Cabin, senior fantasy analyst at Rotoviz. I'm joined tonight by Matthew Friedman, the editor in chief of Fantasy Labs, part of the Action Network. Henry the Cat is really crying away in the background. Uh, and that's because he drafted Andrew Luck. Uh, Matt, we're just days away from the main event. Uh, the FFPC main event that we'll be drafting. And how are you feeling? i um, feeling
1: good, I guess. One, I need to be reminded of when we are actually doing this draft. And then two, uh, <laughs> I almost wish that Andrew Luck could have held out for longer so that someone else in the league would have drafted him because there was no way we were going to take a quarterback uh, you know, before the later rounds. So uh, in some sense, we got screwed by Luck retiring too early. But uh, yeah, looking forward to the FFPC and what a shocking uh, event this weekend with Andrew Luck retiring.
3: Yeah, it was so out of left field. I was absolutely shocked, as I'm sure everybody else was. Our draft is on Thursday, the 29th. We're drafting at 10 p.m. So I think that uh, that means that around 10.03, 10.04 on Thursday night, we're probably going to end up in an argument
1: Uh, I don't think that's true. I think we'll end up in an argument
3: before that.
1: uh, And then we'll have it basically settled by the time draft the draft
3: comes around. What pick do we have? Is it number nine? Yeah, we have pick nine. Yeah, we'll figure it out. All right. So I obviously we've touched upon it here. But let's just start with the Andrew Luck situation. What was your reaction uh, as to how that impacts the team in particular uh, Marlon Mack and T.Y. Hilton?
1: Yeah, I mean, the immediate reaction um, is that this really destroys Hilton. Um, you can look at the the road of his um, you know, player splits app to see throughout his career what Hilton has done with luck and without luck. And it's a pretty significant gap, um, you know, just less efficient all over the board in terms of converting targets to receptions, receptions to yards, yards into touchdowns. Um, so it is a pretty big step back for him um, and uh, but I maybe have kind of um, gone too far. So I was super bullish on Hilton and a lot of it is because of how tied I think he is to luck. So I had him at wide receiver seven, which was I'd say like on the, the high end of where people across the industry had him ranked. I have him now wide receiver 24, which I think is slightly on the lower end of where he is now in the industry. Um, But I still think that, like, maybe I'm too low on him now. I mean, I still think it's bad for Hilton, but this offense, it's not going to be as good. But it might not be as bad as people think because uh, Brissett, like, what happened in 2017, I don't think has much bearing on what happens now. Um, It was a different offense. Brissett came in, like, literally the first week of the season, didn't have a chance to learn the offense, established chemistry with Hilton and some of the other receivers. Um, So given that he's had a year in the system, even though he hasn't been the starter, he's had a year in the system to learn. He's had a year to develop a year to kind of watch Andrew luck and uh, kind of pick up everything that he has to offer as, you know, a, a potential guide to how you play the quarterback position. So I'm down on Hilton, but I'm, you know, I think I might adjust up Adjust a little bit, um, his projections from where I adjusted on uh Saturday night, um, or maybe it was yeah, it was Saturday night, uh, and then Mac, um, I've adjusted down slightly, but not all that much. He scores fewer touchdowns, probably has a few, uh, you know, a few fewer receptions, but uh, I mean, I had him at I think RB 22. Um, and I think maybe I was lower on him because I was relatively higher on Naheem Hines. Mm. Um, but, uh, now I have him at RB 25. It's not all that big of a drop. It's a little bit of a drop.
3: Yeah. I'm kind of in the same boat as you, um, in regard to both Hilton and Mac. I think in my rankings, Hilton ended up moving back to about 20, um, his projection didn't well, you know, it's it's really difficult because you don't have that historical body of work, like you said, that I think we can really rely on to inform our projection process that much. Uh there are some positives going for Brissett in that he may be one of the better backups in the league. And he's been in a position now where there has always been the possibility, even with luck, a fully active NFL player that Brissett would need to come in and lead this team. So I'm sure that the coaching staff and the team have thought about how they would function if he had to take over. Um, So from a projection standpoint, it wasn't like a crazy precipitous drop down, but I do think that you want to shift him back in the rankings to some degree because there is that element of we just don't know what to expect, which makes me less inclined to draft him this year than some of these similar options. As far as Marlon Mack went, his projection didn't really change all that much for me. The, um, the player that actually had the biggest impact of this was Naheem Hines, just because with some of the concerns about the offense, it was harder to foresee him getting some of the opportunities that he would have with Andrew Luck there.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. I still haven't moved Hines down all that much, like fewer touchdowns, but I still think he's going to get quite a few targets um, so I don't know. I'm, I'm still, I'm still probably more bullish on Hines than I, I should be, but I just, I think he's an interesting player and I'd see him just being a bigger part of that offense in the second season. But I'm, I don't know. I'm probably wrong. I think I need to revisit him. Well, um, the, yeah. The Brissette, weird set, thing- I should say, oh, Brissett yep. is also interesting to me. I have him at QB 17 in part because of his rushing capability. And I think he'll just be better than he was, uh, two years ago. And that when he was like quarterback 22 like I think in the system with Reich he should be better
3: um you had said one more oh Naheem Hines the weird thing for me with Hines is I keep drafting him in a lot of drafts despite where I'm drafting him or the players that I'm drafting him ahead of aren't always reflected in my rankings which is kind of a weird thing that I, I run into sometimes
1: Yeah, I think he has um, decently high upside, even without Luck. Right. Like, I think he could be a guy, because of his receiving abilities, who actually ends up with like a thousand scrimmage yards, like Duke Johnson
3: in the previous seasons, like that type of thing. Yeah, for sure. So that takes us through the Andrew Luck fallout. Obviously, we have to ask the same question about the Houston Texans with Lamar Miller now out for the season how does this impact Duke Johnson and does this have any bearing on some of the wide receiver outlooks or maybe the tight ends?
1: Yeah, I haven't changed much with the, um, the wide receivers and tight ends, although I think it, it does adjust Hopkins up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, obviously the big one is Duke Johnson. And at this point, um, I think it's a really good, Good situation for him. Like, I don't think, even if they bring in someone like Jay Ajayi or Carlos Hyde, if he gets cut, maybe even like LaShawn McCoy, if he gets cut, but even if they bring in a veteran, I still think Duke Johnson is going to see uh, workloads higher than what he's seen in the past. Um, and that, I mean, that seems like an obvious statement. The question is, like, how big is the workload going to be? Um, I think he's going to have. Just under, let's say, like 185 rushing attempts. Um, and I think he'll have maybe 50 receptions. So, like, I'm kind of being aggressive with that. Like, that puts him at 1300, 1400 yards, you know, just depending on how efficient he is. I don't think he's going to score a lot of touchdowns, maybe five to seven. But, I mean, in other words, he's basically going to be Lamar Miller. That's what, like, you were kind of expecting out of Lamar Miller. This year, based on what he had done the past couple of seasons, I think he's going to be in that general range.
3: Yeah. And, and I think that the difference, too, with a player like Duke Johnson and Lamar Miller at this point in his career is there's the opportunity for Johnson to break off an explosive play here or there, which on a yeah. weekly basis can make a difference. And at the end of the season could make a difference in the amount of utility that he brought to your team. I actually ended up going fairly aggressive with him, too, when doing just the pure projection, not considering the ranking. I actually ended up with him moving up to RB12 and In my projections given that increase in rushing attempts (laughs) that is so huge it's so huge and the thing is i would not draft him like he's the rb12 but until there's another piece there you really can get to that when you're working through your projections because i already expected him to get a big piece of the receiving targets and then once you start getting like above 160 carries for him that's just kind of how the math worked out
1: yeah i mean it's a situation where I feel like I could project him for more than I'm giving him right now um, because I don't have any faith at all in uh, Demaria Crockett and Karan Higdon and Buddy Howell. Like those are like the three, the three least impressive um, (laughs) like rookie backups. And I don't even, yeah, I think they all, they all are rookies, but it's just like a situation where you couldn't identify which one of those guys might end up being the second running back. Like they all have like basically the same chance. Um, but I don't know if Duke Johnson is going to get like more than 50% of the carries, you know, like I think he could like, I, I think he has like the LaShawn McCoy ability to be a lead back, even though he's not, you know, more than 210 pounds. Um, but I don't know. I'm, I'm projecting those three guys collectively for more carries than I probably want to, but, um, I just don't, I don't want to project Duke Johnson for any more
3: than I am right now. I can completely understand that. So I actually brought up my, okay, he's at RB 14. Uh, so I, I ended up with him at 189 carries, which might be high 53 receptions, uh, five rushing touchdowns and, and, and three receiving touchdowns. So I guess you could say I might be bullish, but I don't think that falls into a category of being unreasonable. Yeah, maybe I don't think aggressive. it's
1: unreasonable. It's aggressive, especially maybe on the touchdown front. Just, yeah. And it's hard to know because he hasn't been a touchdown scorer to this point, but that's not to say that he couldn't do it. Um, It's just a question of do they give him the goal
3: line touches? That's really all it comes down to. Right. So kind of what I'm hoping happens here is that... When they are in goal line situations, they don't try to just run him straight up the middle. That they kind of do some creative things. They add a lot of receivers in, you know, maybe get four guys up, uh, spread out, or you know, some type of formation that they can use Duke in a situation where it's not very clear if he's going to be a receiver or if he's going to, going to carry it. And I think that they might do something creative. Um, so perhaps they'll surprise us. But I mean, really, even if you drop that number from five down to three it's still a very strong projection uh, for a player like Johnson. So I guess at at this point, we're going to find out very soon. Um, Any pieces of training camp news that have come out, Matt, that you're actually paying attention to or have caused you to rethink some of your prior assumptions?
1: Yeah, like I'm paying attention to everything, but I don't, I don't think anything has come out that is huge enough to make me make huge adjustments. So at this point, every day I'm combing through and, you know, making some slight tweaks to players kind of based on news, based on preseason, but nothing huge at this point. So I guess the answer is no, like I'm paying attention to everything, but like, I think my priors at this point are pretty much set. So nothing I'm taking in is really changing much. I guess I would say the one thing Damian Williams, uh, in the week three preseason game, he basically picked up where he was in the playoffs. Right. Um, and we do have a bit of news about Carlos Hyde, uh, potentially being cut. So Damian Williams is back up for me. And Darwin Thompson is now much more of a, uh, kind of like legitimate, uh, Zero RB candidate than he was with Hyde on the roster
3: yeah, um one note just talking about the training camp stuff. I've been trying to follow and get a sense of what's gonna be going on with uh, some of the pieces in San Francisco. Uh, I still think that's a really tough situation though to fully know about. um so beyond that, I don't think there's really been too much that's gotten me interested in gosh, this cat keeps jumping up. did that cut me off? Can you still hear me? yeah, I can hear you okay um so anyways. And one thing that we haven't talked about, I don't believe, is this dynamic with Thompson and Williams. I think a lot of people have been operating under the assumption that if Darwin is to have a fantasy-relevant season, that's going to be at a significant detriment to Williams. Do you think that that's true? Is it mutually exclusive, or can we have a situation where they're both um, able to... Have a successful season, you know with Williams kind of being more of that like uh, top level type of running back Maybe not a tier one um, Is that still possible if if Thompson can be a player that finds his way into lineups?
1: Well, I think they could both be productive But if Thompson is productive enough to be fantasy viable I think that means that Williams is going to be disappointing Mm -hmm. as a fantasy player uh, given his ADP Even if he's still fantasy viable Um, so I think there's probably not enough of a pie to go around for both guys to be productive and to like satisfy fantasy investors. Um, but it is possible that, you know, Thompson has more of like a James white type of role and Damian Williams has more of like a Sony
3: Michelle plus type of role for sure. And if there's, a couple of coaches in the league that we could expect to do something like that. I think Andy Reid's probably on that list. Uh, you have taken some flack on the social medias for the Juju stance. We are at pick nine in the main event. Are we taking him or what?
1: Uh, I don't want to give our opponents uh, <laughs> any 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 more insight. Uh, I'm going to say, I don't see the thing is, I think that Juju has a very good chance of being the number one fantasy wide receiver at the end of the season, but I don't want to take him there because then you sap the value out of what he offers in the market right now. You know what I mean? Yep. So the question is, do we think we have a good enough of a chance of getting him on the flip side in the second round, you know, or like if we want a wide receiver in the second round, like does, I guess the question is like, does a wide receiver in the second round fit into our draft plans? You know, so it, I don't want Juju in the first round just because I don't want to kill his value, but uh, I would love
3: him in the second round. So th- this I find to be an interesting thought experiment here um, at pick nine. I'm assuming you'd be more open to picking Devonte Adams or is that a false uh, assumption?
1: I mean, I think that's I think that's probably correct just because of what the of what the market is giving us. So, you know, like if everything were in a vacuum, um, I would. So, for instance, if we were in an auction, I would rather pay, um, let's say, $40 for Juju than $40 for Adams. I know that that sounds weird, but if they cost me the same thing, then at that point, I'm basically looking for the guy that I think scores more fantasy points. But in a snake draft, I want to try to game the market. So I would rather have Adams, I would rather have a shot at Adams in the first and Juju in the second right. than taking Juju in the first because I know I'm not going to get Adams in the second.
3: Right. And I guess that one of the things that we have to bring up, and actually this is something I was wanting to talk about, but I feel like I've kind of shared my stance on it a number of times that I didn't feel like working it right into the show sheet, but I tend to be pretty um, apathetic, if you will, to which player I'm actually drafting if they are players of the same position in the same tier. So I can That's get fair. Yeah, so I can get the thought process. They're like, you know, at this point, yes, we love Juju. Do we really have any idea that he's going to be substantially better than Adams. Do we really, you know, we we expect they're going to land in the same spot, but how things actually play out, we don't know. So I can understand the thought there of taking the one that's not going to be there and leaving our chances open of uh, potentially being able to start Adams and Juju. I don't think that will happen, but I do think it's possible that we're able to either get Thomas and Adams and then either... Juju or Tyreek Hill or some similar configuration to that. And at worst, probably um, one of those four players I just mentioned in Mike Evans. Yeah.
1: So I think the the question here is not whether we're taking Juju or where it is that we're taking him. But the question is, are we going wide receiver, wide receiver? Like that's that's the question. Like, do we want to take running backs in the first two rounds? So because if if we don't, I mean, I think I could be on board with that, but it just, you know, that is like the radical thing that determines what we do for the rest of the draft.
3: Uh, absolutely. So let's think this through, right? When when we are picking, McCaffrey is going to be gone. I'm assuming Elliott, despite the situation there, will be gone. You oh, think, yeah. Yeah. So Kamara will be gone. Barkley will be gone. David Johnson I, will be gone.
1: Adams, I would say even like Adams is gone. Uh, Hopkins is gone, right? Like I, I'm not a huge fan actually of the ninth pick because I feel like you're now in this, you're now in this space where you have too many options and I don't, I don't like having a lot of options in part because one, I feel like I'm always going to pick the wrong one, but then two, (laughs) I think it also means that you're picking near the top of a tier. Um, and I, I don't like being in that position, but I mean, I think it's like a question of do we go with Michael Thomas? Do we go with Beckham? Do we, you know, like right. who, Like there, do we go with Kelsey? Like there are know, a or, lot yeah. of there are a lot of options that we could go with at pick nine, but almost a stone cold lock that we will not have a shot at one of the top five running backs, and we will not have a shot at
3: Hopkins and Adams. Okay, so I, I think then, and then just to articulate one point that you were getting at there, I think the problem with pick nine is that you are reaching a point where you will not be it where it's harder to get the combined value of what you might get out of the 11th and 12th pick, because by the time things come back at nine, there may have been a natural tier break. I think that might've been what you were getting at.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's part of it is that, you know, at pick nine, you're not getting the value at that pick that you might get if you're at pick seven, right? Because if you're at pick seven, you're at the end of the, uh, the Hopkins and Adams tier, um, at pick nine, you just, you don't have the value. And yeah, on the flip side, on the second round pick, you might miss out on a tier, but I think we're still in that tier yeah, in the second round. But um I still think, let's say if we had pick seven, that means we would be two picks later in the second round. I still think we would be in that tier in the second round. So
3: I would rather have pick seven. Okay. So a- anyway, back to this running back situation. So I guess it comes down to With the running backs that we mentioned gone, behind them, to you, is Nick Chubb a better pick for us there than one of those receivers that we mentioned is a Dalvin Cook, any of the other running backs? Because I'm not convinced that any of those players I really like better than that level of receiver. Do not even
1: mention Dalvin Cook as a potential first rounder to me. No, this this would be as a second rounder. And and trust me, I I will
3: not be drafting Dalvin Cook on any of my teams. It was just if this was the, you know, I wanted to leave the option open to you.
1: Uh, Well, I I don't think Chubb will be there in the second round. Yeah, Um, I I might be wrong there, but uh, man, I think I would still. So at that point, it's like, do I take Juju or running back in the second round? And it's Juju 100 times for me
3: right so i think then really the the i think it's going to be unlikely that we end up going with a running back so if we conceptualize this a little bit differently are there any running backs other than those players that we mentioned that you would rather have than travis kelsey in this tight end premium league
1: over kelsey um man that's that's a hard one because i i'm not really sure how i feel about kelsey mm-hmm. um so like on the one hand, I like I know like no quote unquote that he's the, the tight end one. And like that makes sense. But um I don't know. I also have like this uh feeling in my stomach, which is like so unscientific, but it's like, do I want to invest a first round pick? in a tight end one and like tight ends, like that's That's not an injury prone position. Like pro is not the right word, but it's an injury impacted position for sure. You can just look at the injury rates there year over year and like tight ends, like they suffer injuries more than other positions. So do I want to do that? And then two, do I want it to be, um, a guy who is, I think 30 now at, at this point. So like, yes,
3: much older then, than people realize.
1: Yeah. And then on top of that, do I want to pay for him at something close to his ceiling? Like I think people are valuing him based on not just what he not just what he did last year because there is a body of work before that. But like last year is in people's minds. They are thinking of Kelsey as like the league winner at the position. And I don't know if he's significantly better than Kittle or Ertz. Like I know that they're in terms of projections, there's a teardrop, but I'm not all that confident in the projections. Like I think those guys are of a tier. And so I don't wanna I don't wanna be the guy that takes Kelsey in round one, uh, to have him underperform or get injured and have that be the reason why we lose a league.
3: Yeah, I hear that. I do think if we dropped the if we could simulate a hundred of their seasons, right? Or not even simulate, if we could play out a hundred of of Zach Ertz, George Kittle, and Travis Kelsey's 2019 seasons, I think that we would have a portion of outcomes for Kelsey that those are a portion of results in terms of a lot of points, to say it very uneloquently, um, in Kelsey's distribution that we wouldn't have in those other players. But yeah, I mean, I've never been somebody that goes after a premium type of tight end early. In fact, um. The only time that I've ever paid up, if you will, for a tight end was in an expert auction this year where I paid for Travis Kelsey the price of a lower level tier two wide receiver. And at that point I already had Tyreek and Juju. So it was a slightly different situation. Um, so I think with us combining there, it's probably gonna be hard to see us really going um in the direction of Kelsey. I'm kind of feeling, Matt like we are going to end up going two wide receivers. I just yeah, don't I see mean, I don't see how that doesn't happen.
1: Yeah, I think that's I think that's probable. Um well, I mean, we'll want to talk about it a little bit. I think one of the big questions is we need to think a lot about who is going to be available for us in round 3. Because if there's a chance like I do not want to get to round 3 and have it be like, well, we don't really like any of these running backs, so we're just going to you know, bang wide receiver again and do like wide receiver, wide receiver. And like, I can see that, but it's like, man, like at that point we at, at running back, we are just behind the eight ball for the rest of the draft.
3: Yeah. Okay. Well, I think then, um, if that's actually how you're feeling, then I think we have to go with the running back that we like most with that ninth pick, because there still will, will be a group of wide receivers there that are largely the same, whereas it's very likely that there will not be the running back.
1: Yeah. We're just we're gonna have to talk about this. We're gonna have to talk about this. So
3: let's move on. I do actually think though that's kind of a useful strategy session is it's probably running people through some of the thought processes they'd be considering for their own leagues. Yeah. Um we spent a while on that, so I'm just gonna skip a couple of the questions here, but I do wanna know, uh pick one. DJ Moore, Cooper Cup, Tyler Boyd, Calvin Ridley. And I bring up these four players because I feel like a lot of people, us included, might be in a position where they're trying to figure out which one of these players they want to go after, especially if they have two picks that are kind of in the same range and maybe they can't go wide receiver with one of them.
1: Uh, I'm going to be highly unoriginal and say DJ Moore. Um, I would understand why someone would go with Tyler Boyd before him, given uh, the AJ Green injury and the fact that you know we get this it seems as if there's like this continual pushing back of the best case scenario of when he might play. It wouldn't be surprising if AJ Green missed half the season like that. That Agreed. could happen. So uh, I understand enthusiasm around Tyler Boyd. Uh, that said, I've never liked him. I'm not, I'm not really going to start liking him now. Um, I, I'll just and I'll probably be wrong that and that's fine. But like DJ Moore, I don't think there is any doubt as to his talent. Like, he was a known talent entering the league. He has the draft capital to back it up. He's young. He's athletic. He was productive last year, and it's pretty easy to uh, project even more usage to him this year. So I would much rather have DJ Moore.
3: Okay, I think that's fair. You know, for me, it's weird. You talked about kind of having, like, a gut feeling or some type of intuition. When I look at this, it's funny. It's like, I kind of think... From a rational perspective, I could make a good case for any of these guys. I could make a very strong one for Cooper Cup. But my gut kind of wants to say Calvin Ridley, which is weird. Like, I feel like if I'm forced to draft, I go Calvin Ridley. And I'm not sure if it's just because I'm getting caught into uh, the early portion of his season, some of the very ridiculous historical comps that you see when you look at a player like Ridley. Uh, I guess ultimately, though, you I don't think that you can really go wrong here. It's just going to be a matter of how the season actually plays out, which is such a platitude. But that, that's kind of where I'm at.
1: The thing that um, scares me a little bit, I guess not sc- scares the wrong word, but Ridley and cup, neither one is the number one on his team. Fair. You know, so yep. I feel like there there is a a hard ceiling on both of those guys. Like DJ Moore has within his range of outcomes having 1600 yards. Like that's unlikely, but it's possible. But Matt, that, if that you're the wide receiver likely. one,
3: you're drawing, you're getting shadowed by the, by the best corner on the opposing team. Right. So oh, you, you can't have a good you're season right.
1: and, and double teamed. and
3: double teamed. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So anyway, I just, I don't see Ridley having the same upside that Moore has. And at this point, like we're playing against 11 other teams, but we're also playing in the main event. So I kind of <laughs> want to chase the ceiling a little bit more yeah. of DJ Moore.
3: All right. I like it. We are going to be playing in the main event uh, sponsored by the FFPC, so we should probably remind all of our listeners that the FFPC is the home of season-long high-stakes fantasy football. It's been 10 years since the FFPC filled their first dynasty league, and they've now grown to be the world's largest dynasty league commissioner. With leagues as high as $5,000 to enter, FFPC leagues are active and competitive, and not a single league has ever folded. Brand new startup dynasty leagues are forming right now, starting at $77 and up in standard super flex and best ball formats. And for those of you ready for your greatest challenge, take a look at this year's FFPC main event. What is the main event? It's the world's biggest event in season-long fantasy football, and this year it's coming at you with a half a million dollar grand prize and over 3.1 million in total prizes. It might be late for you to get to Las Vegas for the three-day weekend of live drafts and festivities at the Planet Hollywood Resort and Casino, but you can draft online from the comfort of your own home. Main event drafts begin August 23rd and run through the start of the season, Uh, Sean, Siegel and Curtis Patrick uh, participated in one over the weekend. Sean has a really great rundown of how they approached that draft and how it played out up on the site. And we also have um, a couple of... Main event focused pieces done by Monty Fawn, who has been an extremely successful uh, high stakes player over the last couple of years up on the site as well. So if you are going to be playing in these, you're definitely going to want and check uh, go and check out those pieces.
0: factory
3: um i did some work earlier in the week looking at strength of schedule using the metrics that um i employed in the stat weekly stat explorer last year uh just as a preview here kirk cousins and carson wentz are really solid options to start the season um I have some really cool tables that you can look at if you want to get ahead of the game on streaming Um, on the defensive side of the ball. There's the Cowboys, the Giants and Kansas City. So those are teams that if you're drafting this weekend, you might want to grab as your defense. I don't have anything else to bring up there other than I thought that that might be helpful. So I wanted to mention it. Matt shifting gears here. What are the teams that Vegas is on the highest, excuse me, what teams is Vegas the highest on and uh, what are the teams that Vegas is the lowest on and is there anything that you've seen in the betting world that we can extract and inform some of our fantasy decisions as we're drafting away this weekend?
1: That's a really interesting question. Um, So, and, and part of it, I guess, would depend on how you want to look at it, but you could look at odds. To see uh, who will win Super Bowl fifty four, that's probably like the most straightforward way of doing it, and it is pretty much in line with what you would expect. Um, but a, a couple of things to think about: so, one, um, the lines are based on the action that the bookmakers get. Yep. Um, so they are they are responsive. So it's a question of um, how much stock do you put in the public. And their ability to bet into these lines. And although um, I think the NFL week to week is a pretty efficient market, um, I don't put all that much stock into some of these numbers. Right. Um, So that's one thing. And then two, um, so the bookmakers can be reactive, but then two, they can also kind of they can shade the Mm -hmm. lines in a particular way because they know that the public is going to come in heavy on a team. Um, So the Dallas Cowboys, for instance, um, have the uh, 10th or 11th highest um, odds to win the Super Bowl. And maybe that's accurate, but I kind of don't buy it. Um, The Chicago Bears have the eighth highest odds, and I don't really like that either. Um, So it's it's kind of hard to know exactly how how the lines correlate with reality and then what that reality even means in terms of fantasy. So I don't really pay all that much attention to, um, let me rephrase that. I pay attention to these lines, but I don't extrapolate all that much from what the lines are telling us to how I'm making a lot of fantasy decisions. So like, just because the bears, uh, are plus 1900, like 19 to one odds, Uh, to win the Super Bowl. That doesn't mean I'm going to go draft a lot of bears or anything like that. Um, I'm still pretty much just focused on the numbers of what I think I can project uh, based on what happened last season and based on the players that are on the different teams.
3: I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, And I have been talking about trying to have us do a kind of like betting focused episode. I know it's a little, you know, for some people, all they want is the fantasy but i do think that there's some overlap um
1: and there, there there is definite overlap so but but to, this is maybe like the the best example yep. that i can give the cardinals um are 110 to 1 to win the super bowl so the market is saying that they have no chance um they have the 30th odds the so like the third to worst odds to win the super bowl but like I think they could be fantasy gold at this year. You know what I mean? Like right. Kyler Murray could be great. David Johnson is, you know, I think a near consensus as a top five, we'll say top seven, top eight pick for sure. Um, and there's a lot of potential with some of those wide receivers. So even though the Cardinals have almost no chance based on what the market is telling us to win the Super Bowl, like I think that's a team that you should try to attack heavily um, because the upside of what they could do is pretty enormous because it's unlike anything we've seen in the NFL, uh, like at least for a number of years.
3: <laughs> okay, yeah, no, I, I'm just laughing because I'm just picturing the scenario where it plays out and this Cardinals team just does absolutely nothing. It runs like 900 plays, uh, which obviously isn't going to happen. But just I'm just imagining if it did. I
1: mean that that could that could easily happen. Probably right? not like, 900,
3: they, but I mean they could be at like 950, 975.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's there's a very imaginable world in which it's like, oh, hey, a rookie coach and a rookie quarterback who would have (laughs) uh, not been able to see that that didn't work out. Like, you know, so but at the same time, like you, you don't win fantasy leagues by playing scared, Mm -hmm. you know, like you have to like you are rewarded much more by imagining the upside and drafting into the upside. And the Cardinals have a lot of. Uh, at least potential upside because they are so unknown.
3: Yeah, I, I don't disagree with that at all. This is kind of a, a random aside, but i imagine that a lot of people out there are signing up for survivor pools right now. Do you ever participate in these and do you happen to have an approach? I'm just, I, I imagine people would be curious for the Friedman take on this.
1: Okay, so the official Friedman take is that uh, I I don't play in survivor pools uh, in part just because um, I don't think I do them all that well. Yep. And I was never really all that interested in them either. Um, but so that's like the official Friedman take is like, I'm not an expert, but um, everything smart that I've read about survivor pools, depending on how big the pool is, um, suggests that you should really approach them in a game theory informed way, just as you would a guaranteed prize pool mm. uh, in DFS. So if, if it's a large pool, um, you're not necessarily incentivized to go with the most obvious Um, the most obvious pick in any given week, um, you know, because lots of people could do that. So, if you're right, everyone basically survives and it's as if nothing really happened. But if you go with, you know, maybe the third or fourth pick, there will be far fewer people on that one. And if uh, everyone who's on the chalk gets wiped out. Then all of a sudden, you have a much greater chance of winning the entire pool relative to where you were a week before. So I think you have to, it just, a lot of it depends on how big the pool is, but you just kind of have to, um, to have like an intelligently contrarian approach.
3: Yeah. That, I, I think that that sounds extremely likely that that is the way that one should approach it. I actually don't really have an opinion or much of a thought on this, but I would say if I were going to be doing one of these uh this year, that's probably how I would be inclined to approach it. What I will be doing are the um the uh fantasy point props uh at my bookie. Um for those of you that didn't listen last year, we had a couple of of weeks where uh, There were players projected for point totals that you might have felt very strongly on or just to kind of get back at the concept. um, There will be lines on how many points Antonio Brown will score in a given week and you can take the over or under on that. Um, Very, very fun to do. So we might talk about a couple of those um, reflect on them during the season and it is a new season Antonio Brown is on the Raiders Le'Veon Bell is with the Jets Odell Beckham is in Cleveland the one thing that hasn't changed where I'm putting my money down on all the games my bookie is the place to bet on football every weekend they have better bonuses more prop bets than any other sportsbook period and this year they're hosting the first online handicapping super contest First place is guaranteed to win $100,000. It only costs $100 to enter. All you have to do is pick five NFL games against the spread every week to climb the leaderboard and score your share of the huge cash prize pool. Um, we've used them. You get your money, which is always a good thing. Uh, they even have live in-game Bets that you can make every NFL game, rewarding player perks, and the um for you fantasy guys out there. As we mentioned, you can even bet the over/under on how many fantasy points a player will score in each game. Uh, they will double your first deposit up to thousand dollars when you use the promo code RotoVis. Visit my bookie online today. That's M Y B O O K I E. You play, you win, you get paid.
0: Love a good deal? Sale into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from 1999. Polos from 1699. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic
3: Factory. I'm not that into drafting Aaron Jones or a Carryon On Johnson type of player. I guess you might even include Marlon Mack into that range. We talked about Mack earlier. Would you rather own one of the wide receivers that's going in the same situation or going in like, you know, relatively the same ADP or do you feel good about one of those players?
1: All right. Well, um, let's talk about where is their ADP right now?
3: All right. So the first of those players that I mentioned that's being drafted is Carrion Johnson. He's going at an ADP of 25. You have Damian Williams at 27, Leonard Fournette at 28, Aaron Jones at 31, Marlon Max at 34. He's actually uh, behind Devonta Freeman at 32 now. And a really interesting one is Chris Carson has creeped his way up to 37. Let's focus, though, on the earlier guys in that range there of like carry on Fournette and Aaron Jones.
1: Um, I like Fournette uh, out of the group. I mean, I, I think I'm not as down on carry on as you are. Um, but, um, yeah, I would, I'm willing to bypass that group of running backs. I do like Chris Carson. Um, Chris Carson at, at that ADP though. I mean, I, I guess I'm saying I don't want to draft Chris Carson where we would be drafting someone like carry on, but I, I do like Chris Carson in that tier. Like he's, I actually, yeah, I don't, I don't mind him as much. I like I'm adjusting him up in my rankings. Um, I think he's going to get more usage. Like he's in a run heavy offense and um, I think he's going to get more receiving yards uh, than he had last year. Um, you know, there's been the talk from uh shoddy that he wants to give more targets to uh, Chris Carson and I think that's actually realistic because Mike Davis did vacate a number of targets. So, um, even if, you know, some of those are lost, I still think, um, Chris Carson picks up targets, but, uh, I mean, who are the wide receivers going in that range? Yeah. Like so- I'm, I'm not that hot on, like if going in that range is like feeling digs, like I'm not that hot on those
3: guys. Right. So, um, T.Y. Hilton, that might change, but he's going around 34. There's Hamari Cooper in that range, Diggs, uh, Julian Edelman, Brandon Cooks, Chris Godwin. Yeah,
1: I feel like that would be reaching for Godwin, but he's probably the one I'm most excited about. More than Diggs? In that... I'm not that into this Minnesota passing okay. game.
3: Okay, okay.
1: Interesting. You know, I, I'm just... Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of not, so... Um, and I, this, this might sound weird, but like, I don't like the, this is why it's kind of like what I was talking about with options earlier. Like I don't really want to have to choose between Diggs and Thielen cause I think I'm going to choose wrong, but, um, I guess I prefer Thielen out of the two, okay but it's, I can see the case for why you wouldn't go with him um but it's like a small sample based on what we saw at the end of last season so i don't know but i'm just i'm not
3: that hot on the minnesota passing game okay can i ask you a follow up there though cuz i find this interesting you're saying that you're afraid of picking the wrong one do you really think that they're going to have radically different seasons that it it actually matters like i could see them very realistically finishing within 15 points of each other yeah i mean so does it matter
1: the odds are that they'll finish similarly what i'm saying is it's like a um it's like a, a philosophical or like psychological weakness where i'm like i'm gonna pick one okay and if i pick the wrong one I'm going to be like, "Damn it, I should have
3: picked the other one." I don't think that's a good way to be approaching this. <laughs>
1: oh, I know it's a horrible way to be approaching it. Like I know that. But yeah. but that's like also like a superficial thing. The big thing is I'm not all that hot on the Minnesota passing game anyway.
3: Okay. Yeah, that's fair. Um Yeah, I- I'm all, all I'm thinking here is I we're gonna have a couple of interesting, <laughs> interesting rounds. I think round four, particularly for us, is gonna or even even round three might be pr- pretty interesting. Come Thursday night. Um, I mean,
1: I think I think a lot of this has to do with what what is our goal? Are we trying to win the league or are we trying to win the main event? I think and we're I know, trying to win the know, main event. <laughs> I know to win the main event, you have to win your league. So maybe you should just sort of focus on your league. But yeah, I feel like Thielen and Diggs are median picks, you know, like you're you're picking them because it's sort of the ADP range and you don't want to screw up. But I don't I know that like Thielen had a lot of value last year and it's hard to say like oh this guy doesn't feel like a league winner but I don't know like I would it's probably too early for DJ Moore but like I don't know I feel like DJ Moore has a better chance of winning a league for us than Adam Thielen does. You know, like, yeah, I want, no, I, I, I understand. want upside, you know, I, that's what I want. Like I, I crave upside. Well, and, and, and especially too, because Thielen
3: yeah. was the type of guy that might have won one of the league last year with the correction. Now that's not going to happen this year. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, moving on to my silly questions I had lined up for the end of the show. Uh, and they're only silly in that they're kind of meaningless, but nonetheless, I'm curious as to your take, who will be the fantasy MVP? Speaking of looking for upside.
1: Uh, I think it's Kyler Murray. It's almost, well, I was gonna say it's almost too easy, but also <laughs> incorrect to say Kyler Murray yeah. because his ADP has moved up. Right. Um, so, you know, I think if we're talking about league winners, it's gotta be someone who pops later. Um, so I would say, you know, Lamar Jackson could be a league winner. Josh Allen could be a league winner. Um, you know, kind of correlated with Lamar Jackson. I think Mark Andrews really could be a league winner. Um, I I don't think he will do what Kittle did last year, but I think he could, you know, be a top five tight end. Like, I think that's, I think that's possible. And he's being drafted as if he has very little chance of that happening. Um, So like shooting from the hip, I would say like those are the guys that I feel I feel have the actual chance of being league winners with running back. It's harder because it's, it's so much just dependent on usage. You know, it's like, does a guy get injured and then does the guy after him, who's the the backup and being drafted like in the 10th or 15th round, does that guy all of a sudden get all of the usage? Um, and then at wide receiver, I think it's harder for those guys going late really to break out. Um, I like, I don't know. I don't know. Like yeah. part of me would have wanted to say like, uh, actually, okay, here's, here's one. And I, I know I'm wrong, but I'll just say like, there's a, there's a chance. Um, Trey Smith, like there's, I like it. there's a chance, you know? Yeah. And, and no, no one's thinking about him. He's, he's almost free, but Which I don't um, completely
3: he, understand. I don't yeah. I don't get that. In fact, in my in the pros versus joe's draft, he went so late that I actually was like, wait a second, do I need to look up and see if he has some type of health concern, is he is he suspended? That's, What's that's going exactly on? That's exactly
1: what I'm talking about. So yeah. people now they know that the Saints don't throw as much. They know that Michael Thomas is a target hog and Kamara is going to get his and people are assuming that Jared Cook is going to get his. Uh, And people remember Traquan Smith's inconsistency last year. And that was a real thing. Like there were some games where he exploded and then other games where he did absolutely nothing um, and that burned people. So I think they're going to stay away. But for, for me and like, I've done some um, minimal research on this. So I can't say that this is well-researched and that is like a hundred percent accurate, but I believe that what matters for rookies um, and predicting what they do in the future isn't just like the, um, the volume, like the raw production that they have, but it's also like the ceilings, the peaks. And so Traquan Smith had some pretty high highs and he hit, he hit it more than once. So like, I don't think it's totally random that he was able to have those peak performances last year, especially when he was productive in college, has a good athletic profile, uh, and was drafted in the third round. Like, he's he's got real potential. So he's unlikely to do, uh you know, much on a consistent basis this year, but I think he has a much better chance than people are expecting. Like, people are expecting maybe he has, like, a 0.5% chance, and I think maybe he has a 2.5% chance.
3: Yeah, I, I- I was kind of surprised that there hasn't been a stronger case uh, made really by anyone that I've read about him being one of these guys to keep your eye on later in drafts. One name that comes to mind for me going much earlier, but I think we could see a situation, and I don't think there's a high likelihood of it, where Royce Freeman uh, could be a league winner, perhaps. That's fair. He really yeah. just outplays Philip Lindsay. Um And this team behind Joe Flacco just plays a little bit differently. And I think that Freeman does have the skill set to be an every down type of back. And I do think he's a pretty good back and he's in a spot where uh, it does feel possible that, he ends up finishing as a like fringe RB one, and really then would be a league winner. Even though I don't know if I'm in love with the term of league winner, but we throw it around yeah. a lot, so I would I
1: mean, there there are maybe fifty running backs you can mention, and I can be <laughs> for like, sure. yeah, I, I, can, I can see the case for it, you know, because it's just it's so dependent on whether a guy gets usage and whether uh, the players around him get injured.
3: Yeah. All right. So one more question for you here, and I'm gonna let I'm gonna give you three ways that you could attack this, and you can pick the one that you find the the most interesting. Who will be the most improved player? Who will be the breakout wide receiver? Or who will be the biggest disappointment? Answer one of those.
1: Uh improved player. Um that's kind of hard. I think I'm gonna stay away from that one. Yeah, like part of me wants to be like Rashad Penny, but um, <laughs> I don't like I don't know if that's actually uh the case, but yeah. I, I want it to be. Um I'm going to say breakout wide receiver, um Didi Westbrook. Uh, I'm, I'm higher on him than I think a lot of people, I have him as a low end wide receiver too. Like I I have him at wide receiver 23, um, which I will say like that's aggressive, but I don't think it's unreasonable given what he did last year. He already led the team in, uh, I believe targets, but definitely receptions, receiving yards, touchdowns. He was efficient. He now has the best quarterback of his young career. Uh, He was prolific in college, and he has a good uh, physical profile. Like He can burn down the field, so I'm not all that worried that he's small Mm because, I mean... You know, John Brown is small. Deshaun Jackson is small. Like there are D. Y. Hilton is small. There there are guys with that type of physical profile who can still be really dynamic. Uh, and I think Westbrook fits into that general category. Um, so, and I also think he can play more on the outside than people expect. It's sort of like a juju thing where he's he's played primarily in the slot. He's had success in the slot. But, uh, you know, like T.Y. Hilton can move around the formation. I, I think D.D. can do the same thing. So um, I, I think some people are thinking of him as like a slot only player, and he's probably getting knocked a little bit because of that. But even if he is a slot only player, I still think he can break
3: out. So he's the guy I would go with. Also, um Dante Moncrief in, uh, I think actually the majority of weeks last year, was the most targeted player on the team. And he is not going to be there this season. So that opens up even more of an avenue for Westbrook to kind of assert himself as the main focus of the offense. Yeah. At least through the I air. Mean,
1: yeah. Um, one, one thing that could maybe go into like, I don't know, this isn't a good barometer for improved but uh, I would say Will Fuller staying healthy, like that would be an improvement. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, and and if he is healthy, you know he's a league winner if he's healthy. Um, and then Sammy Watkins, I think, could fall into the improved category mm-hmm. um, in that he was targeted basically as much as Tyree Kill last year. Um, he was a low end wide receiver too when he was healthy. If he stays healthy, which is a big if, but if he stays healthy. Um, I think he would have that, you know, quote unquote improvement that people have been wanting to see out of him for the past couple
3: of years. Sammy Watkins has had the most fascinating kind of career arc because it always feels like he's on the cusp of getting back to potentially living up to the potential that we saw for him coming out of college. But I think at this point, if we look back, probably his rookie season was his overall best body of work, right? Or am I wrong yeah. on that?
1: no his second season yeah. i think yep. um the, let's talk about biggest disappointment yep. quickly yep. i i have no
3: idea like who do you who do you think that's going to be uh biggest disappointment i think i mean there's some low hanging fruit there's like, a lot of low hanging fruit but i i would say uh, I think it's probably going to be like an Aaron Jones or a carry Johnson to go back to that question that I asked. I know I'd have to pick one of those guys, but I kind of feel like that whole range of running back will be a disappointment.
1: Yeah, here's here's one Um, a lot of quarterbacks like a lot of the <laughs> a lot of the quarterbacks drafted, um, let's say in the third to 10th range. Yep, I think a lot of those guys are going to disappoint the people who draft them because They're not Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes, uh, and then they're also not the guys who were drafted five rounds later who basically did just as well as those players. Yeah,
3: I was almost going to say Patrick Mahomes, and the reason is it's going to be nothing to do with his performance, but there's going to be people that think that he's just that piece that they need, and it's going to push them over the top, and they're going to win their league. And that's probably not going to happen just because they took Patrick Mahomes. So I think there'll be a lot of people that are disappointed because they took Mahomes and they didn't win. And they're realizing that, like you said, there's going to be similar production they could have gotten. and They also could have had a a player that would have been a huge difference maker.
1: Yeah, I so I I agree with that. That's a possibility. I'm thinking of someone like Aaron Rodgers or Drew Brees or Russell Wilson. Drew Brees
3: is definitely in the conversation there.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, Mitch Trubisky for oh. people who who think that, you know, he might progress. And if he doesn't progress, then they're they're disappointed in that. Um, so so yeah, that's me. a, a yep. lot of
3: quarterbacks. OK, but the good thing about Trubisky, though, is he's I've been able to get him so late that I actually have him on some teams. And I've been I've been stacking him and Dak as I think they're both quarterbacks with that rushing upside um might get some good weeks out of them and i think they could could surprise and dax a guy that's been in a top 12 quarterback every year of his career and is still falling to in some drafts like pick 17 so that's something to keep your eye out for too if you want to wait and try to get some rushing production in there and then of course there's josh allen too who, who we've mentioned um yeah, that's fair that's going to do it for today's show again please rate review and subscribe to the podcast follow us on twitter at dave and at matt F. the Orc be sure to check out Rotoviz and if there's any topics you want us to discuss or questions you'd like for us to answer, send an email to rotovizradio at gmail.com and remember, it's not a fantasy you believe it
2: This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. Right now at T-Mobile, get an awesome iPhone XR on us when you bring your family over and trade in your old device. Because whether you have mom, dad, or a friend on your mind, it's a gift so bold and brilliant, you'll want to keep it for yourself. Most importantly, it's on us in six vibrant colors. Plus, with unlimited everything from T-Mobile, the awesome iPhone XR will have everyone snapping, streaming, and sharing to their heart's content all year long. But don't wait, it's only for a limited time. So visit a store or call 1-800-T-MOBILE and get iPhone XR on us.
0: If congested, customers using more than 50 gigs per month may notice reduced speeds due to prioritization. Video at 480p via 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers plus tax. Qualifying trade-in, port-in, service and finance agreement required. Contact us before canceling our credit stop and remaining balance due. 64 gigs, zero down plus 3125 per month for 24 months. Pre-credit price, 749 0% APR, one offer per account.